Welcome to Musings on Faith and our new podcast series, Getting to Know the Episcopal Church. In this series, the clergy of St. George discuss the Episcopal Church. They will cover many topics over the next few weeks, from the history of the Episcopal Church to why we celebrate Advent. Whether you are a lifelong Episcopalian, a new member, or just curious about our traditions, we believe these discussions will be enlightening. I am Marianne DeSantis, your host and a parishioner at St. George. Today, I am talking with the Reverend Ed Bartle about the history of the church. A lifelong Episcopalian, Father Ed was ordained as a vocational deacon in 2004 after a career in criminal justice and law enforcement. He was ordained to the priesthood in 2009 and currently serves as Associate Rector at St. George. Thank you, Father Ed, for participating in our Getting to Know the Episcopal Church series. I know you are a lifelong Episcopalian and knowledgeable about the church's history. Please tell our listeners about the early roots of the Episcopal Church and what role the Church of England played in its formation. Well, thank you for asking or inviting me, Marianne. I'm, I'm looking forward to it. History has been uh, one of my favorite subjects. As a matter of fact, um, I told my kids when they were when they were very young, they were complaining about history, and I said, well, you know, you need to study history. It's very important. It was my favorite subject. And my son looked at me, who's now a priest, by the way, and says, well, Dad, when you were in school, the history book was only a half inch thick. Um, so I appreciate this opportunity to talk about um, my love of the Episcopal Church and, and kind of its roots. And whether or not I'm an expert, that's to be seen, but we can talk about it. Uh, the Episcopal Church is, in fact, part of the worldwide Anglican Church, the Anglican Communion. Now, some recognize it as the Church of England. In the background, goes back to the 6th century when uh, the Pope sent Augustine, or Augustine, whichever way you prefer to call him, of Canterbury, and he led a missionary trip to England, and as a result, Christianity fell under the authority of the Pope, so it became a very Catholic uh, uh, community or nation. And Europe around the 16th century was experiencing a call to separate from the, the Catholic Church, such men as Luther, Calvin, Zwigli, and some others. Uh, they were challenging some of the canons and some of the practices of the Catholic Church. But Henry VIII ruled England at that time, and he was at one point appointed the title Defender of the Faith by Pope Leo X, probably because um, Henry had opposed Luther and the others, which obviously shows that Henry was still pretty much in the Catholic, uh, Catholic belief. Um, is that why uh, the Episcopal Church is often called King Henry VIII's Church? Probably so, but it's really kind of a misnomer, misnomer. But in 1534, the church became the Church of England when it separated from the Catholic Church uh, and became one of the many churches that were joining the Protestant Reformation. The belief that the creation of the Church of England was a result of Henry VIII goes back to his wanting to divorce his wife. You know, he married Catherine of Aragon early on, only with the Pope's blessing. And then when she couldn't provide him with a male offspring, he wanted to divorce her. And the Pope said no. He would not accept or recognize the divorce. Well, Henry divorced her anyway, and he uh, 
became he appointed himself the supreme head or had the parliament appoint him supreme head of the Church of England, which resulted obviously in a schism with the pap- uh, the papacy papacy. So I guess some would say the Church of England became King Henry's church, but in fact, it was the, the Reformation was already in full swing at that time. In 2007, Bishop C. Christopher Epting, at that time the presiding bishop's deputy for ecumenical and interfaith relations, wrote the following, and I'm going to quote from, from his writing. The Episcopal Church traces its history back through the Church of England, which broke away from the Roman Catholic Church in the 16th century over issues both political and theological. The political issues included the papacy and how the church was to be governed. The theological issues were one raised during the Reformation by theologians such as Martin Luther, John Calvin, the place of scriptures and tradition, worship in the language of the people, certain sacramental practices and understandings and mandatory celibacy for the priest were issues at that day. Well, when did the American Episcopal Church become independent from the Church of England? The Episcopal Church was established after the American Revolution when it became independent from the Church of England. And we uh, characterize ourselves as Protestant yet Catholic. But you have to understand that, uh, that the um, Church of England came over, it was introduced to the county of, Saint, of Jamestown in early uh, 1600, 1607 as a matter of fact. And as more folks arrived, the church spread and became the established church in, in several of the colonies. But the one drawback was that the priest had to come from England because only a bishop can ordain a priest and confirm members. And there were no bishops in the county. The church in the county answered to the Bishop of London. Um, and so the priests were all of British origin, which meant that they were probably pretty much loyalist, or what we call Tories at that time. And when the American Revolution began in 1775, they figured there was about 300 Church of England congregations within the 13 colonies. Um, But the church had suffered persecution and decline in membership during the Revolution because all the clergymen had taken an oath of allegiance to the crown at that time, uh, the time of their ordination. Many of them, as we said, were loyalists who ultimately were forced to flee to Canada or England. Now, some, some of the clergy uh, supported the revolution. For example, William White, who uh, was a chaplain of the Continental Congress, and he, he proposed that the congregations form themselves into an American church that would continue the spiritual legacy of the Church of England, but would otherwise separate from it. Uh, and so in 1784, Samuel Seabury, also a priest uh, in, the Episcopal, in the Church of England at that time, sailed to England and hoping to be consecrated a bishop with the idea that we wanted a bishop in place or bishops in place to maintain that um, the apostolic succession, meaning that the, the bishops all go back down through the line all the way to Peter uh, in Rome. And so he got over to, to England, and uh, the English bishops agreed that they would, they would consecrate Seabury Bishop. And they said, all you have to do is sign this little, sign, this little paragraph here that says, you will show allegiance to the king. And I think Seabury said something to the effect of, uh, I think we just went over that. 
So he went up into Scotland where he was consecrated by a couple um, uh, Scottish bishops that were called non-jurors and saying that they didn't particularly agree with the English church. So in um, 1789, Bishop White became the first presiding bishop. He and Samuel Provost of, of New York uh, had been consecrated by English bishops but did not have to sign that allegiance form. So in 1789, we had our first presiding bishop and we became uh, a church, the, church uh, the Episcopal Church, the Protestant Church of the United States, yeah. When, that's interesting that you, you so we're a Protestant church. Uh, a lot of people, when they f visit us, see that roots of Catholicism. So are we Protestant or are we Catholic or, or are we a nice combination of both? I think we're a combination of both, but in, in a, maybe in another series you could go into more detail because at one time there was a, uh, what they called the high church and the low church with the high church being more Catholic and wanting to stick to the Catholic rubrics and a lot of the, the canons of the Catholic church, while the, the evangelicals wanted to be more on the Protestant side, and so they became what was known as the low church. Um, but that's, that's a whole different topic. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. But in 1964, the House of Bishops voted 79 to 56, and without debate, to drop the word Protestant from the official title. So. Um, the House of Deputies, they added um, their own touch to the to the Constitution. I think not wanting to get in trouble with the bishops, but they they said the effect was a, the recognition that the Episcopal Church would constitute a legally acceptable alternative designation. So we became the Episcopal Church. And going back to uh, Bishop Epping, let me quote what he says about this. The Episcopal Church is part of the worldwide Anglican Communion at some 77 million, the third largest Christian communion in the world. Now you gotta understand that was back um, just after 2000. So that, that, that information is about 20 years old. But Anglicans consider themselves both Catholic and Protestant. They're Catholic in the sense that they retained much of the liturgical and sacramental understanding of the early church. Protestant in the sense of being a church always open to reformation and renewal. So they believe that baptism with water in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit makes one a member of one holy Catholic and apostolic church, while affirming that the real presence of Christ's body and blood in the Eucharistic elements of bread and wine, they have refused overly specific definitions of how this happens, such as the Roman Catholic concept of transubstantiation, which uses medieval philosophical categories to define the holy mystery. I do have a question, uh, you know, from our creeds that we say uh, that we are one member of one, you know, we are a member of one holy Catholic and apostolic church. The Catholic there, what does that refer to? Is that referring to... Not the Catholic like church, church, but... Universalism. The universalism. Uh, we're saying that we believe in one holy Catholic or one holy universal church. We're all part of the Church of God. Uh, I know that that causes some Baptists who come into the church a little concern, yeah. <laughs> but uh, it's 
it, it's it's not uh, referring to the to, yeah. to the, Catholic, the Catholic Church. I read uh, once when you see Catholic lowercase like that that it's universal. Yeah, you know, that it's it is. that's the overriding uh, you know universal church when you see the lowercase Catholic. Right. Okay. And you tell us about some of the noticeable differences. Um, in the Catholic Church and the Episcopal Church or the Protestant Church, mm -hmm. if you will. Um, in the Episcopal Church, bishops and priests can get married. Matter of fact, uh, women can be priests in the Episcopal Church. My wife is a, is a priest. There is no centralized authority like the Pope. Um, and lay people play a greater role in the decision-making. Uh, sacramental confession is optional. We, we do a general confession at every Eucharist service. In the Episcopal Church, we still have what's known as an auricular confession, which means that a person can come to an Episcopal priest and what we call under the stole, give a confession, um, much like you would see how the Catholics do it. Um, so we, we have that. Uh, our churches are autonomous, independent, the decision making in the Episcopal Church can, some say, appear messier, but it's, we're, and we'll talk about that in a minute, but we're, we're governed by uh, uh, the Triennial Convention, which it, our, the National Church is. Um, well, tell me, who is the Archbishop of Canterbury and what role does he play? Archbishop of Canterbury is um, the senior bishop and the principal leader of the Church of England, obviously. He's the symbolic head of the worldwide Anglican Communion. Remember I mentioned that the Episcopal Church is part of the Anglican Communion. He's diocesan bishop of the Diocese of Canterbury. And currently our archbishop is uh, the very Reverend Justin Welby. He's Archbishop of Canterbury and is regarded as a titular t a leader. In other words, um, he exercises considerable spiritual authority, but he doesn't have much um, authoritative responsibility over the, over the church. Um, he presides over Lambeth conferences, which every 10 years, all the bishops of the Anglican Communion supposedly meet at uh, Lambeth in, in England to, to hold a, a meetings. But, um, but he really is a formal position or title with, without any real authority. Okay. Okay. Well, how is the American Episcopal Church organized today? In the organization of our church, each self-supporting congregation or parish as we have here elects its lay governing board or the vestry and they handle all the what you call temporal affairs and uh, the maintaining of the church, the physical part of the church and the priest or the rector or the vicar, whoever um, is responsible for the spiritual life of the parish. The congregations are, uh, if they, not self-sufficient, if they can't maintain their own, then they come under the, the, the supervision of the bishop in their diocese. And all clergy and lay representing all congregations meet annually within a, what we call a diocesan convention to conduct the business of the diocese. And the convention then elects the bishop to serve. Um, and the bishop um, serves for an unlimited amount of time. 
and then the dioceses belong to a, what you would call what I spoke earlier of a general convention which meets triennially and all the bishops are members of the house of bishops and the other house like I said it's like our government split between two houses the other house is called the house of deputies and that's made up of an equal number of clergy and laity the executive council or the administrative agency of the general convention is headed by the presiding bishop who right now is uh, the very reverend uh, bishop uh, Michael Curry um, who presides over the house of bishops and the church is also served by a primate and a president and is divided into nine provinces around the country. Okay. Well, that certainly explains some of the terms that we've heard on, you know, that, and like you said, it, it, we may be going into a deeper explanation mm -hmm. down sure. the road, but thank you, Father Ed, for your time. Listeners, please email your questions and comments to musingsonfaith at gmail.com. We will answer your questions on our website or in future podcasts. Thank you.